0: Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project. And I just wanna take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. What's up, everybody? You're watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the G 3 Project. I'm so excited to bring a dear friend of mine who's no stranger to the Jew 3 Project uh, back on the podcast, Mr. Justin Gibney. Welcome, Justin.
1: Lisa, what's going on? As always, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for uh, joining us again. For those who may not know who you are, who haven't seen any of the past episodes, what um, you want here, just tell our audience a little bit, bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Uh, I'm an attorney. Uh, I'm a political strategist, and I am the president of the ANN Campaign. The ANN Campaign is a uh, a, civ- a Christian civic organization that's trying to raise civic literacy among Christians, but also help Christians Uh, apply biblical values to the issues of the day. And so my passion is really the intersection between uh, faith and politics.
0: That's awesome. And I'm happy to serve on uh, with you on the advisory board for and campaign. Um, So today we've had an election come uh, just an election finally passed. Um, we finally have a new President, <laughs> which I'm thankful for. Uh, we don't have to worry about our president tweeting. Uh, we don't have to worry about what our president will tweet <laughs> when we wake up. Right. <laughs> but uh, when we think about uh, the new administration, what excites you about the new administration coming up?
1: Well n- number one, we know how much damage the Trump administration did just to the institution of the presidency but also to the reputation of America in general. And so, I, I number one, I'm looking forward to, like you said, just not having to have see a controversy every night because we have somebody in office who doesn't have the discipline not to put something out there that is really destructive to America, but also repairing kind of our relationships abroad. But even bigger than that, I think the number one thing that has to be the focus, and I think what we're seeing will hopefully be the uh, priority initially, is handling COVID. Uh, We've had over 400,000 deaths. Uh, It's still not safe. People are tired of social distancing and to have this vaccination plan that he just uh, put out there to know that they're really focusing in on this conversation and that you don't have a whole bunch of ego and all this other stuff um, in the way of actually getting things done for the American people. So that vaccination plan is big, but also getting help and relief to the American people directly, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it be fourteen hundred dollar checks or two thousand dollar checks. This is something that's long overdue and that the people need. So I really want to see Biden focus in on the people, on job training, on working, on uh, social justice, things of that nature. Uh, And so I'm looking forward to that and just a different tone and tenor when it comes uh, to what we see from uh, the White House.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, and so, there's a lot of positives that we're excited about. What are some things that we should be concerned about with the new administration? What are some challenges that you think we'll have to overcome? And what are some challenges that you think will be for Christians with the with the new administration?
1: Yeah. So as the celebrations subside, and I know not every Christian is celebrating this, uh, I do think we need to keep in mind that this is, you know, the the presidency and the influences that are going to be on Biden are not all Christian friendly. And so one of the things that I worry about and one of the things I've been telling Christians to keep their eye on, I don't care how excited you are about Biden and uh, Kamala Harris, you got to keep your eye on some, uh, how the kind of the secular left is going to push them in certain directions uh, with different policy, and so I do think, and this is something that I've kind of been urging the Black Church to address, even though we'll address it surely very differently than White evangelicals, is the conversation about religious uh, liberty. Uh, it matters to us. You know, we don't want our institutions, our churches, our schools that are that are faith based, to be forced to do things that are outside of our convictions. And so we have to keep an eye on things like the Equality Act. Now I know. The Equality Act sounds great, but any sophisticated political uh, person is going to let you know you never judge a a bill uh, by its name. It has some things in there that could really hurt the church, uh, that could really uh, uh, impede the church's ability to to fund schools to, you know, for instance, it, it could force a faith based hospital to. Uh, do sex reassignment surgery when it's really against their values, even though they serve transgender people and er- every, everybody, they serve everybody. They just don't want to do those type of surgeries because they think it's actually harmful to people. These are the type of things that we have to watch coming from the administration. I think there's some very extreme, extreme abortion laws that could come out of it. And so we just have to keep our eye peeled. And that's why I really urge Christians to not just to be partisan. Look, I've been a Democrat my whole life, but we have to be a little more shrewd and sophisticated than that and understand the, the, the policies that are helpful to our community. Then also understand that there are things that the Democrats do, too, that can be hurtful. And so it's a matter of kind of rising above the just choose a side, very simplistic conversation and saying, well, I may be a Democrat or I may be a Re- Republican, but I still have to watch uh, and make sure that they're doing things that are helping people, not just Christians. But helping people in general, because when you talk about the Equality Act and things like that, that's not just harming Christians. It's Muslims. It's our Jewish brothers and sisters. And so we really have to watch out for that
0: stuff. Mm -hmm. That's extremely helpful. And I think important for many to note, because I think many have missed that and uh, the unintended consequences uh, that it could have uh, for our communities and for our religious institutions, not just like you said, just affecting christians but other faith communities as well uh one of the things that um i think people struggle with is when they vote someone in and they're excited they think that's the end of it Mm -hmm. what would you encourage our black christians to do in in response to um things like the equality act to help us push back or to be even a voice at the table so other voices don't just dominate the day
1: yeah, I mean, in a way, and I, and I always say this, y- your vote is the end of one process, which is the, the, pro- the election process, the primaries and all that stuff, and the beginning of another, pro- uh, another process, which is the process of making sure that you're holding people accountable. If you just go vote and you leave uh, your elected officials to their own devices, there's no guarantee that you- you're going to get what you asked for. One of the mistakes I think we make sometimes is is because we get so excited about the candidates that we voted for, we feel that our only job once they get in office is to protect them, is to make sure that they can't be attacked, is to make sure that we justify everything they do. That's exactly what a lot of white evangelicals did when it came to Trump. They didn't they didn't uh, hold him to the standards that they had said and all those things. They felt like they needed to protect him because the progressives were so bad. We shouldn't make the same mistake. We need to make sure that once we get someone in office, when they do good things, we let them know they did it. And we and we, uh, um, you know, encourage them when it comes to those things. But we also have to push back because the way that politics works. And I say this over and over again, politics is chess. It is not a um, emotional game of tic-tac-toe. We have to make sure that we're pushing because if you're not pushing, somebody else is. And so you have to make sure that you don't just stop at the vote that you hold your politicians accountable, that you let them know what you want and what you don't want and how they should proceed. African-Americans brought uh, Biden into office. And so we should, especially Christians, and should, we should have a major say in what he does and what he doesn't do. And there are many things and I think the progressive platform and the progressive point of view that can be helpful to us. But as Christians, there are also some things that aren't so helpful and we need to be vigilant about that and, and, and step the game up a little bit.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the things you uh, have uh, plans that you talked about, I think, in the 2020 layout for um, and campaign was how we can um, have LGBTQ rights and also religious freedom. Can you can you talk about that a little bit to show kind of how we can navigate through that in a way that's um, more balanced than maybe some of the on, on the extreme right have dealt with it?
1: Absolutely. One of the things the AND campaign tries to do, uh, and we talk about this quite a bit and talked about it in our book, is some is help Christians understand that sometimes you need to reframe the question. So as an attorney, Lisa, I can always ask you a question where there's two wrong answers. And I think that's what's happening in our society right now, especially on the LGBTQ conversation. Christians are giving given two wrong answers and we're forced to take one of those answers. And a lot of what we're given right now is either you hate somebody or you completely affirm everything. And that's just not how life works. That's not how our our relationships work with people that we love or anything else. You can have a strong disagreement with somebody, but still love them. And I think that principle applies uh, to the religious liberty and LGBTQ rights conversation. Look, the church has to do a lot better when it comes to LGBTQ rights. I think in many ways we have to repent. I know that I personally have had to repent. We have to do better. There is no way that anybody in our community, LGBTQ or otherwise, should be discriminated at their job at FedEx or unable to get housing because of how they identify. There is nothing in the gospel about that. In fact, I would say the gospel pushes back against that kind of standard. Uh, so that's one thing we have to know. But at the same time, I don't think religious institutions should be uh, forced to go against their beliefs um just to accommodate every you know every conversation that comes to uh it, when we talk about the LGB- lgbtq so the way that it's set up now is that either you deny all the rights of lgbtq people or you have to affirm everything and just go along with it uncritically and what the AN campaign is saying and many others are starting to say is no i think there's a better answer those two answers are wrong there's a better answer that says no we will protect LGBTQ civil rights. But that does not mean that we have to affirm everything in our institutions and change our beliefs to go along with that. So one of the things, again, this is where the Equality Act comes in and why I think it's bad and where people need to realize they didn't come. You know, the Democrats didn't come to the church and explain the Equality Act. And there's a reason for it. They don't want you to know what's in it. They just want you to hear the name and think that it's good. But if this actually goes through and it's in Biden's uh, 100 day plan, if this actually goes through, you'll have a situation where Christian colleges will be put out of business because they just won't have the money to defend all the lawsuits that will be coming at them for not bending and doing everything that the LGBTQ lobby would have them do. Uh, But I think there's a way way through this. The Fairness for All Act is one way to think about it, where we can give LGBTQ rights and protect religious uh, religious freedom. Those two things do not have to be in conflict, but we have to think it through and come up with better solutions rather than just settling for what conservatives or progressives are giving us. Christians have to do a little more work in that regard.
0: And there's presidents, right, for it working in. um, Is it Utah?
1: You yeah, know, great point. I'm glad you brought that up, Lisa. A- absolutely. In Utah, the Mormon community came together with the LGBTQ community, and that's where the Fairness for All Act came from. They actually sat down, which we don't do anymore. We just say what we want and push it through. These two communities who disagree on things actually sat down and said, how can we work together because we do care about each other? We do have to live together. And they came up with something that worked for both sides. The Equality Act is not the product of that type of um a conversation of that type of compromise, of that type of putting community first and thinking through the issue. What the Equality Act is, is one side of the conversation, writing down everything they want, giving it to their politicians who, who they have paid a lot of money to and saying, you better get this done. The black church is in a position to say, no, that's not how, how it should go. We care for people. We love people. We may even have to, to repent, but we still have convictions that are timeless and unconditional.
0: hmm. I'm, I'm glad you brought uh, them uh, sitting down together. It seems like we have become more and more polarized, obviously, with uh, the former administration that was uh, divisive in their rhetoric. Um, how can we become, do you think there's a possibility of us being able to come back together?
1: Oh, there's always a possibility for us to come back together. I mean, that's just a matter of faith and believing in, and believing in the gospel. But we have to start to see things differently. Uh, we have to start to understand that we need to have direct conversations with with one another and we need to do things differently. You know, politics doesn't work if we can't find any common ground. And there's no reason that Christians who are Bible believing, who believe in the gospel, shouldn't be able to find common ground with other people. Now, one thing I think we have to do, and this is what I push back heavily on white evangelicals on, is Christian politics can't be about Christian self-interest. It has to be about Defending the human dignity of others and promoting human human flourishing. It's not just about us. It's about other people. And that's what the gospel teaches us. That's what the the great commandment teaches us. When we're talking about love your neighbor as yourself, you're talking about doing things for them and being self-sacrificial because you're caring for other people like you care for yourself. And so we do have to sit down. We have to get you know rid of the vitriol and and the tough talk and always trying to defend ourselves. And really focus on other people really take ourselves in a certain ways outside of these partisan and ideological um, mindsets and really say, you know what, I may be a Democrat, I may be a Republican, but as a Christian first. There's a certain level of respect I have to have for other people. There's a certain level of selflessness that I have to have when I'm going into these conversations. We have to go into conversations as Christians, not always in a posture of self-defense, but really in a posture of self-examination. And I think that helps us get to a greater conversation, but also being willing to step out of our comfort zones and advocate for things that we may not have advocated bef- uh, for before because neither side, when it comes to Christianity, is advocating for everything that it could be and we all could do a lot better.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, I-, I agree. What do you think the insurrection uh, taught us about the state of the country and what can we learn uh, from from that interesting and horrible day?
1: I think hopefully, you know, I think it taught the, well, Uh, We stepped over a line. There's so much to say right now. I mean, we (laughs) stepped over a line. Uh, There was a line that was crossed in that moment. And one of the things that was truly disheartening was to see that there were people who had Jesus saves flags and people who called themselves Christians in the midst of something that was completely out of line. That was completely unbiblical. That was hateful. And that was really based off of falsehood Mm -hmm. that had no truth in it. And to see Christians acting as somehow there was some Christian spirit behind this, some, some Christian conviction behind this was really just sad. Uh, so that's the first thing that, that we saw. And I hope what we also see, though, was hurting people. Now, these people need to be um, prosecuted. These people need to pay the consequences. So don't get me wrong about that. But if we can look at that and all we see is, you know, people who we can laugh at, people who look like buffoons to us. Okay, you can see that. But as a Christian, you should see the hurt that somebody who would go to that extent, whether it's their racism, whether it's their misunderstanding of of certain things or just that they've been sold a bill of goods. There should be a level of compassion there, too. And so I'm hoping that we can look at this with with love and truth. The truth that this was completely outside the bounds of anything that's Christian, but also the love to say, if I may have grown up like some of these folks, if my parents had lied to me, if I believed in a leader who was lying to me, I could possibly be in the same place. And it's but for God's grace that I'm not in that place. If Christians can't look at it and, and do all of that, then I think we're in a bad place. And I hope that's something that we learn, that we, truth matters because it's untruths that got us there, but also compassion matters. And we have to make sure that we don't become the people that uh, we think got us into the place that we're in.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's a great point. One of the things uh, President Obama was uh, talked about when he talked about rural America, he talked about, like, sometimes we don't think about the poverty that's in rural America, Mm -hmm. and what people are navigating through. And as you go to visit, you understand people's different conditions and see like their conditions in, in, in some of their spaces are horrible and they're frustrated with those conditions. But I think if you're in a more urban area, you have upward mobility, um, you start to be disconnected. And that goes with whether it's rural America or the inner cities of America, you see, you're you like, what, what is happening? Um, and so um, I do think it's important to to put ourselves in other people's shoes because people are dealing with suffering. And because they're in poverty they have a hard time understanding the concept of privilege because they've grown up in very horrible Uh conditions in rural America, which is hard for us to fathom. But I do think in order to move forward, we have to have those conversations about um, that as well.
1: Lisa, you're preaching with that one. I mean, you, you hit it on the head. When it comes to lower income white people, The 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 life expectancy of white males in that demographic is going down. These are people who are uh, dying of deaths of despair, which is suicide and um, and and drug overdoses. So if if as a community, if as Christians, I know what black Twitter says, I know what these other folks say we're supposed to think. If you can't feel compassion for people like that, it doesn't mean you agree with them. It doesn't mean that they don't they get to avoid consequences. But if you feel like they don't suffer, if if, if, if somehow you've come to, to believe that they don't suffer like you do or there's not issues that they go through, then you're missing it. And you bought into something that probably led a lot of white evangelicals where they are right now. Not not human, you know, dehumanizing people and not understanding where they come from. So people can be wrong and they can be suffering. And as we recognize the truth of that, there has to be a level of compassion because those people are hurt. I mean, when you look at the people from the insurrection screaming and the stuff that they were doing. It's like, this is not normal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we got to rise above the rhetoric and what we're supposed to say for the culture and say what Jesus would have us say in this moment. And that's not always easy. Not everybody's going to like it, but that's why I appreciate Christians like you, uh, Dr. Esau McCauley, Charlie dates is not just accepting what, you know, the, the narrative is it's actually trying to seek something better.
0: Yeah, and I love what you said. People could be wrong and they could be suffering at the same time. And then that it flips, people can be affluent and and uh uh um really uh, taking full advantage of their privilege privilege and still uh be suffering or still just are just completely ignorant and Trump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. um, exactly. And so I think understanding all those perspectives helps us understand nuance. And you don't have to agree with the, their methods or what they do. But if you want to build bridge a gap, you have to at least try to understand to have some kind of conversation. And I think that's, that's the most challenging part for the world, because everybody's telling you, you don't have to have the conversation. But if we can't, it's like, thinking about it's still 70 million people who voted for trump mm. and so like how are we going to move forward we need the the senate is split 50 50 we have to work together
1: yeah um, and it's not oh go ahead i'm sorry
0: no that's that's all i had to
1: say and it's not just enough to say they're stupid it's not just enough to say they're stupid and hateful and that explains everything no nah, man you gotta read some other writers listen to other people it's, it's not to say that what you read is going to justify it But it may show you that it's a little deeper than that. And I think, unfortunately, the narratives that we follow, what we hear from secular society is say dismiss them. They're stupid. They're hateful. And that's the whole story. No, no, no. Everybody has a testimony. Everybody has a story. And until you really heard it, I think we have to reserve judgment, even if we know that that someone's wrong. Mm -hmm.
0: That's helpful. Where do you think we're in the uh, political landscape as it relates to the vaccine and COVID relief. Uh, do you think, what do you think can be done better? Um, and what is the challenges you that you foresee this current administration having uh, with COVID uh, relief?
1: One of the issues they'll have is just that um, the rollout when it came to the Trump administration, when we're talking about vaccines, when we're talking about, you know, getting relief to the people was just bad. There was not leadership. And the crazy part about it is when you have crises like this, it actually makes it easier sometimes for the uh, the leader to get reelected because people just want to see you stand up and be a leader. And if you stand up and you're a leader, whether you make a few mistakes or not, people are with you. But we had a president who could not stand up and be a leader who was thinking about all kinds of other things rather than just the people. Um, and so it, it, it puts the Biden administration in a situation where they're behind on the vaccine rollout, where they don't have the type of plan that they, they need to have, where people are, are suffering. And they're you know, they've just got some catching up to do. So I think they're going to have to kind of reset. They're going to have to get on it very quickly. As I said, I think it was last week uh, Biden announced what his vaccination plan would be. He also announced uh, what I think he called his his, his America Rescue Plan, which will be, you know, the uh, fourteen hundred dollars in addition to the six hundred that people got direct payment to people. So they'll be getting checks and direct deposits. I think that's important. Uh, extending the eviction ban. Um, extending uh, unemployment benefits, all that stuff is going to be stuff that they're going to try to do immediately. Now, the, the issue with it is that they need ten Republican votes. So things like the the fifteen dollars minimum wage, you know, uh, being uh, raised, I don't know that that stuff's going to happen. But I think hopefully they can work to get those 10 republicans to 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 move this along otherwise they're going to have to go through other options uh but but i do appreciate how the biden administration has made this a priority and they're saying look the people need it we need to get this done and hopefully folks who claim that they're populist to some extent like uh rubio and folks like that will will jump on board and do the right thing for the american people that's
0: that's encouraging and 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 um it is discouraging that the fact that the it seems like the Trump administration was not doing anything, really. <laughs> when I was uh, reading something this morning, it was basically saying that the, the Trump administration kind of left nothing for the Biden administration kind of to follow in the vaccination rollout. And so it's almost if they had been lying to us that whole time, which is not I mean, not hard to fathom, um, considering Trump's. Uh, Continual lies, uh, but um, how much patience should we have with the current administration? Because I know uh, most people think when you come come in, you can just change everything, and so they lose patience with the administration. Uh, what is some um, what kind of patience should we have with with them?
1: You got to have a level of patience. I mean, you know, we have a sense of urgency. We need to see that they have a sense of urgency. And if they're showing that sense of urgency, if urgency, if they have plans, if the plans are thorough, then we have to give it a chance to be implemented, implemented and understand that we don't have a king. We have a president and we have a a series of checks and balances that he has to go through to get things done. And and this is the same thing I would say I, I said for Trump. Right. That. Somebody can't just come in and change everything. You do have to have a certain certain level of uh, a patience for them. But at the same time, there are things that they can do. So there are executive orders. We need to immediately be looking at some of the executive orders that have been put out. I think some of them are really good. Others are very, very questionable. And these are things that he signed basically on inauguration day. Uh, So, yeah, we just have to understand the process. And this is when I talk about raising civic literacy, understanding what it means to be in a republic, the checks and balances, but also saying we need a sense of urgency, urgency, and we need leadership. Uh, And that's what we should be looking for that. You know, do you have a plan and how are you going about that plan? Unfortunately, I'll say that the Trump administration did okay when it came to incentivizing uh, coming up with a vaccine. But as far as the rollout it left uh, the Biden administration hanging and with not much to, to work with.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's important, important to note. When you think about uh, Black Twitter and discourse uh, and civic engagement, and do you what what do you think is the helpful things about it? And what do you think are harmful things? <sighs>
1: um, helpful it can be just the information. I mean, you can get a lot of it. I like Twitter because I can get different articles. You, you see things as they happen and you can really keep up with where the spirit of the day is at and, and what people are saying and, and how folks are feeling. The bad part is just the mob mentality. Uh, just, you know, the forced conformity that if you don't say what we want you to say, then you don't really care. Uh, if, if you don't talk about it this way, then you're white adjacent, which means you, you said something that I don't like or that doesn't go along with what black Twitter says in many cases, not all cases. And so you just have to be on there and have a little bit of courage, man. I mean, especially for Christians, one of the worst things that Christians can do in this very tense moment is just parrot what black Twitter is saying, what white Twitter anybody is saying. We have to be critical thinkers. We have to be shrewd. And you got to have a little bit of, of courage to say, yeah, I believe in justice, but that doesn't mean I'm going to go along with everything the secular progressives say. Yes, I believe in biblical values and orthodoxy, but I completely reject how uh, white evangelicals go about it. And some of the stuff they do is not orthodoxy at all. But you got to be willing to stand on your own, too. And, and the beauty of it is, I think, between some of the people that we named before, we're also building a community of people who are willing to do that, which makes it easier. Right. Right. Which means you don't have to do that by yourself. So there is a mob mentality. I think we need to push against that. I think the information that we get is good. The laughs uh, a lot of times are good. You get to see black culture and people doing their thing. Uh, but we can't allow that to get us off of our our kind of straight and narrow road of what the gospel should have us do. And, and Christians just got to be confident. I mean, you just see too many Christians. That are talking about justice, that are talking about these issues, but don't have the self confidence to stand up to their own tribe to say, "We agree here, but I don't agree there." They want the the retweets, and they want it from people who may be pushing them in the wrong direction. And we, we shouldn't be in it for that. We got to be in it to 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 tell the truth and to be loving.
0: Yes, definitely. Well, y- y'all released the book, the end campaign. You, uh, Michael Ware, and I, the, the Chris. Chris uh, Button. Chris Butler uh, co authored it together. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, the book um, and why it's important.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's called Compassion and Conviction. And this is the Ann Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. Um, and we were lucky enough uh, to have a forward by uh, Barbara William Skinner, which you got to look her up. Barbara William Skinner is a sister that has been in DC, that's been going hard. Uh, for, for the kingdom for for a long time man. and she's really something that we kind of model what we do after but really what we were trying to do with with this is give Christians a framework for engaging politics the truth of the matter is that politics Christians don't have to agree on everything when it comes to politics because the bible doesn't speak about exactly what to do in every situation or how to go about being loving when it comes to policy in every situation. So what we want to do is recre- to create a framework based on compassion and conviction to help Christians out. Because one of the things we say, and you're familiar with this, Lisa, is that when we go into the civic space or the political space, we walk into this false dichotomy. And this false dichotomy tells us that if we care about justice, we'll go to the left. And if we care about um, uh, uh, moral order and Christian convictions, then we'll go to the right. But the truth is we shouldn't have to make that choice. That if we look in the gospel, Jesus didn't decide between love and truth or justice and moral order, he had both. And that's really what the AND campaign means. Love and truth, social justice and moral order. And Christians have to find a way to do both, but we can't do it by just taking what's provided uh, to us on the menu by Republicans or Democrats, by progressives or conservatives. In some ways we have to find our own way and we have to be willing To challenge both sides. And so in the book, we talk about how Christians should deal with partisanship because we do think partisanship has practical value, but it can't be the master of your social action. We talk about rhetoric. We talk about why Christians should engage. And we talk about what really is the relationship between church and state. So for Christians who know a lot about politics, but just wanna uh, see it in a more Christian way, or for Christians who don't know hardly anything about politics, this is very helpful for you. I'm at my church. I'm actually doing a Bible study on this. So it's very Bible study friendly. Every chapter has questions and exercises that come along with it. It was actually built for churches to give them a, um, a, a, a resource to, to equip them for, to engaging better. And that's all we were trying to do. We heard of pastors who had people fighting about politics in their in their church. And we wanted to make sure that we went uh, and gave people a, a resource to, to help them deal with politics better.
0: Awesome. It is a helpful resource and I encourage you all to, to get it. I have it on my bookshelf over there. Um, so definitely get, um, compassion and conviction. Um, Justin, what other things that we haven't talked about that you want our audience to know before we, we leave?
1: Well, I would just say this, especially when we're talking about this next next administration again, it was in many ways black Christians who brought this administration in and Both our president and our vice president, I think, have a lot of potential. I think they can do a lot of good things, but they've done things in the past that aren't necessarily helpful to to the church either. I mean, if you go back and look at some of the Judiciary Committee hearings and how uh, Kamala Harris talked to, to Christians who are trying to be judges and what she said about their Christian convictions it's not something that any of us should be happy about. So we just have to be vigilant about that. Uh, we have to, you know, we should push them to take care of what I'm calling these disparity issues. These are the issues that most black people were caring about. We're talking about disparities in healthcare. We're talking about disparities in education in um, um, housing. These are the things that we want them to be focused on, of course, when they handle covid and all that stuff. We didn't put them in office to be just talking about some of these more. Uh, kind of bourgeoisie progressive or elite progressive culture war issues. We didn't put you in there to have, you know, no limits on abortion. We didn't put you in there to do these sweeping changes when it comes to gender and to make sure that biological men could play women's sports and all these other things. That's not what the people need. The people need job training. The people, you know, the people need help of eating and all these things. That's what we want to focus on, housing included. So I would just really push Christians. To focus and don't get too high or too low. Don't follow a politician too closely or think you always have to defend them. Hold them accountable. That's what this uh, political that's how this political game works. And if we're not willing to do that, we're not helping the you know, we're not hurting the other side. We're hurting ourselves. And so if we care about people, we're going to make sure not only Republicans do what they're supposed to do, but that Democrats do what they're supposed to do, because you never leave these folks to their own devices
0: it's so, so true. Well, thank you, Justin, for joining us. Make sure y'all get his book. Uh, you can get it. Um, is it at, on Amazon and at and campaign.org as well? Correct.
1: Yeah, you can go to Amazon. You can go to uh, InterVarsity Press, which is our publisher uh, and, and find the book. And we would we would really appreciate it. And we think it'll benefit you if you have friends or people, you know, who are just getting politics wrong. This is a great mm-hmm. gift for them, too.
0: Awesome. And how can people get in contact with you on social?
1: Yeah, so you can follow the And Campaign on on uh, Twitter and Instagram at uh, And Campaign A N D Campaign. You can follow me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Justin E Gibney Justin E G I B O N E Y uh, on Instagram again on Instagram and Twitter, man. And uh, we would love to have you join the And Campaign team, which is growing and growing because uh, we got a lot of work to do in the civic space.
0: Awesome, thank you, Justin, for all your hard work. And thank you all for watching another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast here at the Jew3 Project. We're helping you know what you believe and why. Remember, you can get our curriculum through Eyes of Color, take our online course, uh, or you can become a monthly partner at Jew3Project.org. Until next time, this has been another episode of the Jew3 Project. Grace and peace. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune in to all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners... Some ideas about the show as well so thank you so much for tuning in also remember we have our bible engagement app in partnership with back to the bible to help you get better engaged in the bible every single day you take a survey it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you bible verses based on those so it's a great app you can download the app by searching in your app store or google play searching j 3 project and it'll be right there for you